This is Damien Petty from IATSE Local 212. On behalf of our staff and membership, I would like to wish everyone out there in podcast land an awesome time over the holidays and a prosperous new year. Best wishes to the team at Full Swing Productions and all in Alberta's screen-based production community. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, welcome to the Alberta Filmmakers Podcast. Oh, thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm Scott Westby. I'm Matt Waterworth. We are Full Swing Productions, and every week we bring you news, tips, and interviews in the film, video, and digital media industries of Alberta. How are you today? I'm swell. I'm swell. I'm swell as well. That I love that cute little greeting from Iatsi. Totally. Very nice. Yeah. Uh, Merry Christmas, everyone. It's, uh, We're close. It's coming soon, yeah. It is coming soon. We're sitting right next to a Christmas tree right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the holidays are here for sure. Uh, and the features first the, from the National Screen Institute has given Alberta a nice gift. That's right. <laughs> a, a holiday present. Um, yeah, the, the NSI uh, revealed their features first teams this for the next year, uh, for 2018. And we are so pleased to uh, let everyone know, in case you hadn't heard already, uh, that Scott Lepp and Sandy Summers uh, have been selected for the program with their film Wilting Iris. They were on the podcast just last just week. Just last week? What excellent and time. And they talked about this script, and Jason Long was also on, on the podcast, and he's an alumni of that program, so alumnus. So, uh, yeah, very cool. Um, very cool that they uh, they got into that program. We we are also, our, we should brag. We right? are alumni. Uh, <laughs> and it's a great program. So It is a great program, it. yeah. If you don't know about the NSI Features First program, basically what it is um, is a 10-month program. Uh, development accelerator which didn't mean anything to me when we when we got accepted um but turned out to be absolutely critical to uh, getting getting our careers going um yeah it was a turning point uh for I sure think, yeah for us in a big way yeah so um i don't know how much has changed since we went through but uh they flew us out to toronto a couple of times and they um we did some script workshopping and they sat us in the room with broadcasters and distributors and other filmmakers and lawyers and agents and um, just kind of, I don't know, gave us a, an idea of how to get a film to a green light. I, I'll never forget the, the story where you're, you're, you were working on Synapse, you're writing it, and you, you kind of have a few reference books lying about. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah. and I forget, I, I forget what I the book noticed. is. I had noticed. Do you know what the book was it's called? It's called, um, no, I actually, oh, From Script to Screen. From Script to Screen. Yeah, it's, it's actually a pretty common book. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. And then you were like, oh, that's written by Linda Seeger. Yeah. And then we and just, I was like, oh, you, you got one of Linda's books. And you didn't even know that it was by her. But Linda was one of the uh, was the kind of script mentor that yeah. was brought onto the program. So that author was uh, was someone who helped us with the script immensely. Yeah, they, they definitely they bring in some heavy hitters. Um, yeah. And it, it, I mean, it turned Synapse into something completely yeah. uh, way better than it was. Um, and of course, we're still trying to get that movie made and we will. It's cool. Yeah, so huge congrats. Obviously, couldn't think of a, of a more deserving team yeah. to go through this program. So Yeah. Um, this is super fresh news. Well done, Briar. This is cool. <laughs> uh, the Fargo uh, nominations for uh, the Golden Globes uh, were released this morning, um, and they're up for Best Limited Series, Best Performance by an Actor in a Limited Series, Ewan McGregor, and Best Performance by an Actor in a Supporting Role in a Limited Series for David Thewis? Thewlis? Thewlis? Yeah. Yeah. So that's cool. A little bit of Alberta recognition there. Big time. Uh, yeah. Super excited for Fargo. Obviously, Fargo is just a fantastic show. 
uh, and worth the time to watch. Um, Fantasy Movie League. Uh, the the weeks keep going. I I, I did. <laughs> I I bombed really yeah, hard. Yeah, I, I did too. Yeah, yeah. you did better than me though. I think. Uh, yeah, I put a lot of effort into this most recent lineup. I haven't actually seen how I've done, but, uh, but yeah, you can always join us. You can still join us now. Uh, there's, there's a gift card for the movies to, to, if you join us, if you, if you win. win. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. Join us at the fantasy movie league, uh, fantasy movie league.com slash. Ooh boy. Oh, it's Group. like a number. AB film. Yeah. Oof. Anyway. Uh, you can find it on Facebook or on uh, on the abfilmcast.ca yeah. uh, if you want to join. Slash group slash 8337. That's right. Fantasymovieleague.com slash group slash 8337. And then our password is abfilm. There you go. Sweet. All caps. Okay. Uh, so, Media is going to be closed uh, December 10 to January 2nd. Fav is closed December 20th to January 3rd. And CSIF will be closed December 18th to January 2nd. So, if you want your uh, your gear, if you're shooting over the holidays... Uh, be sure to uh, have a conversation with them about how that's going to work because you won't be able to return or pick up during those times. Which is actually a benefit if uh, you're renting at Fava. I think CSAF has something similar. Uh, I'm not sure if MED does, they might. Um, but Fava members can rent gear at a discounted rate over the holidays. Two-week rental for the price of one. Nice. Uh, basically while they're closed. Um, so yeah, that's super sweet. That's cool. Yeah. So uh, I'm I'm sad about this. Uh, I didn't know Phil Fraser, uh, who has just passed away, uh, one of the founding members of, of Ampia. Um, and I'm sad because part of this podcast was supposed to be to archive some of these veterans of the industry. And uh, I'm really sad we never got him on the podcast. Um, and it's a reminder that we need to have more of our veterans yeah, uh, sure. before we lose them. Yeah. Um, Phil has an incredible resume, an incredible career. Um, and I encourage you to, to take the time to, uh, check out ampia.org slash remembering dash Phil that's F I L dash Fraser F A F R A S E R. Yeah. It's just incredible. All the, all the stuff that he started and all, all the, uh, all the groups that he was a part of. Um, yeah, an absolute legacy for Alberta, um, and Canada. So yeah. 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 Um, so check it out and, uh, you will be missed, sir. All right, so uh, on to the, uh, the guest intro. Now, this is uh, an, our last partnership with the Calgary International Film Festival this year. Um, it was, it's called uh, On Location Panel, Secrets of Alberta's Film Locations. And uh, it's hosted by Luke Azevedo. Um, and the panelists on the, uh, on the uh, panel were Jason Nolan, Brian Dunn, Dennis Penny, and Amy Brewster. And they have huge resumes working totally. as location managers, uh, on on massive shows um, and also production designers. It was, it was an interesting um, discussion between location managers and production designers. I mean, how much location is already pre-designed and how much design does a, a production designer need to do uh, in order to make a location work for things like Tin Star, The Revenant, Heartland, Into the West, Fargo, Hell on Wheels, El Chicano, and Dead Again in Tombstone are just some of the some of the films mm-hmm. and projects that these folks have worked on. Um, yeah, massive heavy hitters in our industry, and it was a really cool conversation. Um, so I hope you enjoy. Thanks, Sue. Check, check. I'm really glad we can't see anything up here. Yeah, yeah this is not going to be easy reading questions. Um, so I think the, uh, the way we'll start today is uh, just by having everybody on the panel introduce themselves. And uh, from there, um, sort of an overview of what, we're, what this uh, group does. 
and then uh, some questions into how they do their work and why it's so important for us uh, as an industry to have these professionals uh, here in Alberta, uh, enabling us to uh, to show people around and to get them here and then be able to take care of them while they're here. So uh, we'll start off to my left here. This is uh, Brian Dunn. Uh, good morning. Hello. Thank you. Next, Amy Brewster. <laughs> good afternoon. Dennis Penny. Good afternoon. Jason Nolan. Hi there. And so uh, Brian, uh, Jason, and Dennis are here represent representing the locations, and Amy's uh, representing the art department, which works very closely with locations. So when um, we have groups that want to come to Alberta to, uh, to produce their product or to be here to, uh, to shoot, um, or that we're going to Los Angeles or New York or Europe to try to attract people to come here, uh, the questions that come up notoriously are, are basically three of them. What are your incentives? So how do you, what's the opportunities that we have to come to your jurisdiction and be incentivized to do so? What's your crew base like? So how are the people there? How good are they? Um, how deep are they? And what's your infrastructure? What do you have for equipment? What do we have for capacity to be able to do what we need to do? So we answer these questions pretty well most of the time. But I think the thing that becomes extremely important to us is that none of those questions would be asked if we did not have the locations and the backdrops and the vistas for people to come here and actually be able to produce their show. And so from that perspective, um, these folks, uh, what happens with us is that we'll get a call from a, a studio or an independent, or we'll be selling them at their location. And they will ask to see pictures that are specifically around the type of production that they're doing, whether it's a Western, whether it's a, a period piece, whether it's a, um, you know, a current uh, events piece. And so what we do is we engage the folks that you see up here on the stage to uh, put together a digital photo package. And at that point, what we'll do is read the script, we'll read everything that they've sent us, and put a package together that they can then look at to ensure that there is the locations and the uh, opportunities to produce their product here in the province. From there, um, if we entice them with all of those pieces and all of the conversation, they'll want to come here and do something on the ground. So we have to scout. So again, we engage these, uh, these folks and they will meet these, uh, these people, pick them up, take them to where they want to see, show them the pieces and the locations that they can actually work in. It's one thing to show the great vistas in Alberta. It's another thing to show them the vistas that they can actually shoot in. And so if they're coming here to do a Western and they want to be up on top of a mountain and you've got to take 40 or 60 horses up there, you got to know the places that you can actually do it. And you're not doing that by helicopter. So you have to know those pieces. And every one of these folks up here is our seasoned veterans that understand our province and understand what can be done where. And they've all worked on some great shows. So I think the, the first thing that I'll do is I'll, I'll start off with you, Brian, if I can, because you're in a bit of a unique position here. Um, Brian is on uh, Heartland, which is Canada's longest running one hour uh, series uh, in the history of, of television here. And um, I just want you to talk a little bit about as you're going from season to season, you have to look for new locations that are entertaining and that will be able to, uh, to continue to develop the storyline. Um, so how do you do that after you know, 10 or 11 seasons on the same show? Uh, yeah, most of the, uh, the people on the crew on Heartland probably figure I don't have much to look for because we've been doing it so long. But um, 
But every script, and we do 18 episodes a year, and every script has, has new locations in it. There are certainly some favorites that we like to go back to that offer beautiful vistas or interesting areas, but, uh, but it is great to be able to, to um, stretch my wings a bit. Uh, we've been, last year we went out towards Dorothy, um, out into the Badlands, and uh, made that look like Mongolia. So that was fun. Um, we don't get into the city much, uh, usually once a year, and uh, it's nice to see the pavement sometimes too. Especially this time of year, it's a lot of mud and muck, but, uh, but uh, yeah. Fantastic. So the, the pictures that you're going to be seeing in the background here, uh, Jason Nolson was uh, kind enough to, to put them up there for us. And each one of these folks has a, a, a great um, a depth of photos and, uh, and pictures that they've taken over the years. And for us, it's invaluable um, because there's no way that we could send out uh, anybody to try to get that amount of pictures into a, a position where we can allocate them out to, uh, to folks that are asking. Um, so Jason, uh, maybe we'll go to you next and just, uh, you know, sure. what's the locations department responsible for? Like, I mean, we, we know that you're here to, to show people and to uh, engage with them, but there's a whole whack of dynamic here of what your responsibilities. Can you talk a little bit about that? How, how much time do we have? Right. <laughs> um, I, th I think our department starts initially, probably one of the first hired or contacted, um, dealing with the production that's come to look here. Um, like Luke mentioned before, we get the script, uh, any sort of reference photos or ideas uh, that the director, designer, producers have, um, we do a breakdown on that, um, kind of collect what we have in our files and, you know, often go out and get more for the particular production. So we're involved in right from the beginning for scouting, uh, finding the locations, working out all the logistics to go with them from the permits to the to the parking, to the police and the fire, or the, the helicopters, the dealing with parks. Um, so we end up being kind of the middleman between the public and the production, basically, um, on any movie or TV series. Great. Uh, Dennis. Yes. Um, so <laughs> we, uh, you know, we get people here. Um, we, they want to see the area. They want to um, they want to be shown um, the locations that can make their film great, that can, that can continue to make us over the last 15 years uh, the location that has more Emmy, Golden Globe, and, and Oscar wins than any jurisdiction in the country. Um, so tell me a little bit or tell these folks a little bit about what happens uh, on a location scout. How do you find the locations? What's involved? How do you determine how you're going to put a location package together? That sort of thing. Well, typically, like uh, Jason said, we get the script, or sometimes we don't even get the script. Sometimes we get a phone call from a producer saying, can you make Calgary or Alberta look like Alaska? And the answer is, sure, we can. Why not? And then, uh, then can you send me some photos? Can you give me some ideas, some references as to what that would look like? So we would send them a package, a website, like Jason has up on the screen here, and they would bring comments and feedback back and say, okay, we like these particular places. We like this house here. We like this apartment we like this landscape and then they would come for our location scout and we take them to see those places that they actually picked from our website or photo package and then we update the photos for that particular day for them and uh, with any luck they love it and come back to film their movie here excellent so amy um so these folks go out they find these great locations and then the art department has to be brought in or brought in at the same time to try to determine how you're going to dress and make this 
what the vision of the director or the producer is. Mm -hmm. um, so talk a little bit about how you interact and how you work with the locations department to make sure that these kind of things can happen. Well, each location is is different. Um, if we, um, for example, shoot at uh, one of the established western towns that are in this area, um, we have to uh, work closely with locations on on what buildings would be would be best as a general store, for example, or what buildings would be best as a saloon. Uh, the show that I just worked on, uh, we had to pick some locations and work really closely in Calgary on um, some areas that could represent East Los Angeles. And I didn't even know there were locations like that in Calgary. And the locations department did an amazing job on this shoot, um, finding alleys and warehouses and, and even styles of exterior houses that, that would be seen in East Los Angeles. So my goal is to keep working with them and uh, providing even more information on the design aspect, um, the architectural style of a building, or the style of uh, the types of trees or shrubs that we can and can't use. Okay. So um, for anybody here, what's the, what is the biggest challenge that you find um, when the art department and the locations department have to work together? What, what challenges do you have to address early on to make things uh, the most successful for a show? I, I would say that uh, depending on where you're at, uh, scheduling is, is a huge thing. If you're filming inside somebody's private home and uh, the colors on the walls aren't correct, the furniture isn't correct, the, uh, the lights aren't correct, that it takes about two or three weeks of kicking that person out of their home to totally change everything. Then you film for three or four days, and then it's another two weeks to put it all back. That, that kind of can uh, make things a little difficult, not between us, but uh, talking to that person that thinks, oh, yeah, Hollywood, they'll be here with a camera on their shoulder and a couple of days it should be fine. It's, uh, it's, it's up to us to make sure that, that that message gets translated properly or else there's other issues. So. And I think, sir, I think, I think the relationship between the location manager, scout, and designer is really important. I mean, you need to be on the same page right from the beginning um, for the style of project and what the look and the feel um, is, so you're able to find locations that fit within the story. I mean, the story is the most important, and and being able to tell that um, visually. I mean, we're not we're not shooting Friends or you know a game show. I mean, it's it it's really important to um, have the have the relationship with them. I think like if you don't if you don't if you don't connect with the designer right off the bat, I mean it's not it's not going to be good in any way um, on the show. So. Well, that that brings another point up is that uh, you're you're going into locations where sometimes you have to take over that location for a long period of time, and um, we consistently try to ensure that the the public understands that there's a huge value in film and television um, in this city and in this province, that it not only generates a significant amount of, uh, of money, but it, it creates uh, jobs. It, it's a one of the largest drivers um, of job creation per million dollars invested of any sector in this province. So um, we try to get that message out. But how do you deal with the general public when the circus comes to town and takes over their street or their you know their area for a good two to three weeks? Well, we have a good example of that on the show that I'm working on now, which is the detour. Um, we took over the field at Redwood Meadows. Uh, for a fair, we're putting on a county fair there, and uh, what we did or was invite all the residents from the neighborhood to be an extra in 
the fair. So everybody gets a chance to come to the fair, participate. They feel like they're part of it. They're invested. Um, so that's one way for sure. And uh, you also you you put out um, the dear neighbor letters and those. Guys. There's a lot of logistics around that. Can you talk a little bit about that? There is, yeah. I mean, we try to notify everybody um, that would be in visual sight of the production to let them know we're coming and what our plans are and the hours that we're going to be working and and what's involved if we're doing a major stunt or an explosion or if it's just talking heads walking down the streets. Um, yeah, I mean, it's very important. I mean, in Calgary, Alberta is a fantastic place for that. I mean, the the People are so supportive. I mean, they love to, I mean, you always get one or two that's a little surprised or um, can be a little upset. Uh, that's just part of the part of the job. But uh, yeah, for the most part, everybody's really great. So. How do you, um, how do you avoid um, creating that tension continuously? Like when people come into our, into our city or in our province, there's certain locations that they go, yeah, that's where we want to shoot. And that keeps happening over and over and over. And some of those locations, like maybe the Anderson, um, that's been used for so many things. Um, how do you endeavor to find those locations without it becoming something that is constantly in the same place and, and creating that scenario um, in that same place all the time. Well, I think that goes in part and parcel with working with the production designer to make it look like it's something different. Um, the Anderson, like you said, is an apartment building on 17th Avenue that's been used for everything from a school to an apartment, uh, someone's home. Uh, it's been a bunch of different things, and every time it's something different, it's the production designer or the art department that makes that happen, for sure. So that relationship is pretty strong. I, and I think, sir, like... Whenever I'm starting out a production, I'm always looking for something new. Like I don't typically just, oh, we'll just pull this and this and this and this out of the hat and go there. I won't, I'm always looking for something new and better um, and fresh and clean to start off with. So, And then sometimes, I mean, it's what they want, and that's where you're going to go, and that's great, and you make it new and, and fresh. But uh, it's, a, it's a big province. There's a lot here to explore. So. For myself as a production designer, if it's a, a, a space that we've used before, I make sure I study that space and how other people have dressed it, um, the color palettes, whatever they've used previously, to make sure that, that we create it in a totally different space and um, work with whatever our story is, our newest story that we're working on. Uh, for example, we had, a, um, on the show we were on most recently, we had a police station. And I heard several times, oh, we've done, you know, hundreds of police stations before. We just do it, you know, the same way every time. And, and as a production designer, it's very important for me to, to change that up and to find some elements in a police station that maybe they haven't regurgitated several times at the same location and to do something out of the box and some, some fresh looks. And um, the team here really engages that way. And locations is really great that way where they're very informative saying we've shot this room before, for example, as a morgue. Um, or we've used this one as a police station, but there's another one that, that might have a slightly different look. And so um, we have a lot of conversations back and forth that way to, to try to find something that's new and fresh and, and still uh, reflects what Calgary has to offer. So on that note, so Brian, so Heartland has some very specific locations that they continue to go back to. And some of the smaller towns around us are heavily utilized um, for the show. So... What does the locations department or the production do to ensure that um, those towns uh, continuously are inviting for these kind of uh, productions to come back? How do you how do you ensure that they feel part of it and um, and that they're invested in uh, in the project? Um, <clears throat> great question. Uh, High River is is a town that's about uh, half an hour south of Calgary here, and 
it has a very unique old old time look to it, different looks of different buildings up until the flood of 2013. And uh, since then, most of downtown had been had been underwater at, uh, at some level. And so there's there's actually kind of less of a an old feel to it because everything has has been redone. But uh, but Heartland was one of the first doors to open back up back in that town. Although we're only there once every three or four weeks, it still was nice to see some lights on in one of the buildings. Um, there's been a couple of other productions. Jason worked on Tin Star and uh, the same street that Maggie's is on. There's still five or six vacant spaces. And so Tin Star dressed the fronts of some of those buildings to make it look a little less desolate and 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 work well for their show. And, and uh, this year, uh, our production designer uh, wanted to make sure that if there were uh, empty storefronts, that we did the same thing, again, to make it look more inviting. Um, and it uh, getting signs made up that say, this this is a bakery for Heartland, but uh, if you want to rent this space, you can make it whatever you want. So um, High River's always been a great town to, to work in. Same with uh, Fort McLeod and, and Nanton and places just south of Calgary. They're great-looking spots that, that uh, people are just... Small town, inviting. It's great. So one of the uh, uh, over the years, one of the big reasons that people come to uh, to our uh, location is based on some of the areas that are very environmentally uh, sensitive. So we talk about uh, you know being out in Kananaskis, um, trying to get into Banff, which is a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and very difficult to to film in. And we talk about. Um, how we are the stewards of some of these areas uh, and ensuring that uh, we take care of them. And for us, it's extremely important that folks like you are on these projects because you're local and you're invested in the area and, you, and you're professionals, you want to see that happen. Um, we try to make things as good or better than what we find them before they leave. So that's got to be difficult at some time. So how do, you, how do you engage that and ensure that that happens so that we can continuously use these locations? Well, I think the, the first part is to be um, know who, what you're going into when you get there. So, for example, the Alberta Parks, um, we film a lot in Kananaskis Country. And the process to get the permit to actually film in Kananaskis Country sometimes is very long and strenuous and on everyone's part. But for the most part, they're pretty good. They, they work with us to make sure that that happens. They have a representative come and stay with us, a conservation officer. And like Luke said, we always try to go in there and make it better than when we left. So... If we're going to do something like blow up a cabin in a campground, we want to make sure that all the pieces of the cabin are picked up in the campgrounds the way it was before we got there. Amy, is there certain um, things that you would use to ensure that uh, that they're environmentally friendly when you're when you're designing and building, and how do you ensure that there's you know that the budget is is there for you to be able to do that? Uh, yes, it's um, very important to work locations. Uh, we don't want to burn our bridges with any location, and, and Kananaskis and the parks are, are also extremely important. Um, we have to use um, environmentally friendly, um, for example, snow, special effects if we have to bring in some extra snow. Um, our cleaning products, they're very um, particular about if we're uh, working on cleaning cars, for example, if we're doing a shoot to do with um, automobiles. Um, they allow, you know, they're very 
very particular about the detergents and that type of thing. Um, the other thing we did, it like for example, a Hudson Bay documentary, and and I remember that we had to be there with locations and parks, um, placing a, a wall tent and exactly where that wall tent could go, where it did not um, disturb the the natural ground and the natural grasses, uh, the native grasses, because you can't regrow native grasses. Um, and so all of those those items they monitor and we work closely with locations on those. Uh, we don't. We want to make sure that we we are very positive, and it's a learning curve for everyone. So there's a fairly significant difference between having a project that comes in that's a a long term series or a, a major a feature film, uh, as compared to doing commercials and unit shoots. Um, there's still that same level of intensity of trying to find and, and go. But so how do you shift gears when you've been working on, you know, a, a long-term series, let's say, and then here comes a commercial that in a period of seven days wants to be able to produce something that's worth millions of dollars to the area. Um, and they need that, that specific look. And it's, it becomes almost a run and gun. You have to go so hard. So how do you shift and what do you do that's different on those types of projects? You, you don't sleep very much when you do commercials. Um, <laughs> I did a few this summer that were, I mean, you get, a, you get a phone call seven, eight o'clock, you know, Friday night. Hey, can you get out tomorrow? We need to find three or four things to present to the agency by the end of day Saturday. So we can get approval by Monday so we can go to, you know, shoot Tuesday and Wednesday. Um, it, it's really fast paced. Um, but the same consideration needs to be taken, um, for all locations and the way the production runs. So, so um, it could be it could be very quick. Where on a long term, you know, series or or feature, you have a lot a lot of time to figure things out and find things and get the applications in. You know, there's many calls to the city like, I know this takes five days, but can we get permission for this tomorrow? You know, <laughs> so. Well, we have two ladies in the uh, in the audience, Lisa and and Jolaine, that have to facilitate that, and um, you guys aren't the easiest dates sometimes. <laughs> um, I was just going to say, it's all about relationships and keeping those relationships with people like Lissa and the guys from the National Park and the Provincial Park and phoning them up on a weekend and saying, uh, hi, I know it's the weekend, but I want to park 400 cars on downtown Calgary on Monday. What do you think of that? <laughs> and they always make it happen. They always do. So. Yeah, we're very lucky that way. We have a film-friendly environment here, and uh, the folks that work on it, in, in our office at least, are as good as it gets anywhere. Um, so let's talk a little bit about maybe some of the projects that, um, that have been shot here that aren't, that maybe some people in the audience don't know that we're actually here. What are some of the biggest things that you guys have worked on that, uh, or some of the ones that are, that became a big deal that potentially weren't when they got here? I'll start, uh, <laughs> one of my kids' favorite shows that, I tell them that I worked on, which I did, I'm not lying, but was was RV. It was a Robin Williams, Jeff Daniels show that was done here about 13 years ago. And that's that's a while ago now, but uh, but it doesn't look like it was done here. Um, and we got to go south towards uh, Riding on Stone and Milk River, just, just above the Montana border, um, out to Kananaskis and a bunch of stuff out there. So that was a, that's a fun one that people may not know was done here. The one that um, just came out uh, that I worked on last year was called Dead Again in Tombstone, and that was a Universal Studios um, release with Danny Trejo, the Mexican. And it was kind of a Western um, 
action style story. Uh, Dennis was the locations manager on it. And um, have to admit, it was pretty fun. It was a, an interesting shoot, and, and we had lots of different elements going. And uh, fun to see it finally out. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was an interesting one for this area. Um, I would say the Born Legacy was probably one people might not know that was shot here. Uh, the opening 20 minutes, Jason and I worked on that one together. Um, that was done a lot in Kananaskis. Uh, we blew a cabin up in Kananaskis country. Um, it was it was a lot of fun. I mean, there, there's been plenty of unit shoots too for other features that you know, especially Dennis has done. Um, you know, Portions of Twilight, pl the new Planet of the Apes, uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah, Game of Thrones. Yeah, Twilight Breaking Dawn. There was a piece of that done here. There was a piece of. Uh, um, they all blend. Yeah, they all blend together. You're right. Oh, yeah, X Men. X Men. Yep. Yeah. Wolverine. Yeah. Some so, larger, larger productions, obviously, too. But. Hey, everyone. Just want to take a quick uh, time out from this conversation to tell you all about the Calgary Film Center, uh, the, uh, one of our sponsors for this season. The Calgary Film Center is a world-class screen-based production facility, suitably equipped and serviced so you can execute your next project with ease. Uh, I was just there uh, a couple of days ago for their wrap-up of 2017, and it really is a, a magnificent facility. Um, they have 50,000 square feet of purpose-built sound stages and 25,000 square feet of multi-purpose warehouse and workshop spaces, complemented by their anchor tenant, William F. White, Canada's oldest and largest provider of professional motion picture, television, digital media, and theatrical production equipment. At the Calgary Film Centre, their aim is to deliver production support for local, national, and international screen industry projects in a purpose-built venue designed to service individual client needs. As well, the Calgary Film Centre delivers programs to engage and support innovation and excellence in the film and television industry. We encourage you to check out the uh, events and news page on their website. It has all those workshops and um, and networking events that you can attend uh, and check out more about the film center at calgaryfilmcenter.com. And let's get back to the conversation. So we have um, some great locations here, but obviously these large productions mainly uh, are pushing you to find um, and to activate locations that potentially aren't the easiest to do. What's the most difficult location that you've had to uh, that you've had to work in? Amy, maybe start with you. Hey, thanks. <laughs> uh, well, I think um, this last show is is an example for me. Um, I'm just finishing it right now. We officially wrapped on Friday, and it's um, called El Chicano, and it's um, based based on some true stories of an East Los Angeles Latino uh, gang families. And uh, they sent me to L.A. to study back in May um, with some, with some authorities on, on East Los Angeles gangs. And um, to find some of those warehouses and those side streets that were identifiable in East Los Angeles here, um, I didn't even think that was possible. I'm a country girl. I'm not from Calgary um, in the city. And... Um, I, our locations manager is, was Etzel on this one, and he did a phenomenal job um, showing some alleys and some areas that, that I never even would consider being in Calgary. Yeah, it was interesting. Ben Bray, who's the director on that, said that when he got here initially, he thought he'd have to squint really hard and look sideways to try to make it look like it. But after we got to that point, he could, could see it. Yeah. Yep. Dennis? I'd have to say... Um, Probably a movie called The Right Kind of Wrong, um, which was filmed here. 
Jay Lee remembers that one. Uh, we I filmed a lot in Banff National Park, and um, it was a huge, huge challenge. Um, we ended up making it happen, but I would say that was one of the hardest for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Almost the entire film was between Banff and Canmore, um, and that for over the summer too. I mean, with the with the public, um, I definitely had some difficult locations on the Revenant. I'm not going to lie; the rumors are probably true. What you've heard. Um, the biggest part of that was the majority of the film being shot within the park, um, having such a large size crew and uh, dealing with that. I mean, we had an onset crew of around 280 people, so it's a little different when you get a feature film of you know 80, 100, 120. Um, things double, everything's bigger and better and more demanding. So um, definitely some challenges on that. I'd also say the first season of Fargo was quite the challenge too. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, Inglewood did not. Yeah. Anyways, we'll stop there. Yeah, we we weren't loved by Inglewood by the time of the, that ended. Yeah. Rob, Rob Hilton's here. He's the location manager. The last three seasons of Fargo, and he's he's been able to survive three seasons. Uh, Dennis and I were not. So um, <laughs> kudos to him for that. I mean, it's, it takes a lot of strength and effort uh, with that show in particular. How about you, Brian? Um, for me, the 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 toughest show I've worked on. Um, was actually one I, I couldn't make happen here. Um, it was a, uh, a show called Hard Powder with Liam Neeson. You may have heard in the in the news that uh, that our permit wasn't um, approved from the the national parks, which was um, advice that both myself and and a couple other people um, higher up than me were giving the producers that we don't have the time to do this properly. We don't have the resources to. Um, to get done what we need to do by the time we want to film. But we plotted ahead anyway and eventually did make it work. We, uh, we just weren't able to make it work where, where uh, the director and, and designer wanted to do it originally, but, uh, but it still got made. It, uh, we, we did quite a bit of filming up at the Old Fortress Ski Hill and uh, found some other locations just inside BC. Yikes. Yeah, yeah unfortunately. Um, but uh, so that was that was tough. It's it's never easy to uh, to set out to do something and then um, you know we're we're all people that uh, in a nice way don't like taking no for an answer, if I could say it that way. Like we could ask Lisa about that. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hear that every day. Um, so in, the, in that same vein, what's maybe some areas that you went into that were surprising that you found that were like. You know the aha moments. Oh my God, this is here. How do we, how do we make this happen? Specifically on that show, uh, we uh, the initial package that went out um, showed Fortress Ski Hill and a few other places in Kananaskis that that made them come here, and they're like, "This is great." And then they sent back a package that had other places in the park that were in it. So we ended up back at where we were supposed to be, and and that, I think was the aha moment was. Yeah, let's let's do this where we're supposed to do it, where we can. This this is a show with two hundred people. You want to get to the top of a hill above treeline. This is where you can do it. So it was it was not a moment for them. Maybe I guess. <clears throat> I think for a lot of people that haven't maybe been to Fortress Mountain, um, it's one of the only places in not only Canada but in the world where you can get above treeline um, with a crew of two hundred or three hundred people in a reasonable amount of time. 
without a helicopter. Without a helicopter, yeah. There's only one other place in Canada, which is Whistler Blackcomb, that I believe you can do that. So we have a pretty unique location in Fortress Mountain here in this province. And a lot of people come here for that reason alone. For those of you who don't know, Fortress is a defunct ski hill that has uh, embraced the film and television industry in a, in a major way. And we've had some the capacity of doing some very high-profile projects up there and commercials and, and others. That uh, It's about 6,000 kilometers of area around it that, um, that has access without, uh, without having to go through some of, potentially some of the bureaucracy that we do in other parts of the, of the provincial park. Yeah, 6,000 acres. 6,000 acres? Yeah, okay. Acres. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Rob? Um, yeah, Brian, um, do you find that um, as you go forward, new technology is advancing and producers are able to get onto the internet and they're looking at stuff, you know, hiking in a beautiful lake with mountains in the back, right? So up comes one of the most, you know, It has. Uh, I worked on a show where um, the the director and designer came over from France, and they wanted to go to these few locations, which were out and around Kananaskis. And then he said, "And this um, this glacier, and that was up in Alaska, and then this hot springs over here. Oh, that was in uh, north northern Montana." And I said, "These are thousands of kilometers away." And and then. You know, let's go up to the top of that hill. It's like we, there are the roads here in the in the valleys. Like, so so yeah. It Google Google hurts sometimes. <laughs> well, and that's an interesting question, Rob, because we've we've had situations where um, the larger productions that have the, the financial wherewithal to do what they feel they should be able to do because they want to do it um, sometimes can get very difficult. Um, you know, having somebody like a Christopher Nolan get in a helicopter and fly around and determine that one spot is where I want this 12-day shoot. Um, you know, how do you find those backup locations? How do you convince the director and the producer that there's something else there that they can go to that um, that maybe brings them back from what's going to be an abyss for the rest of us trying to make that happen? Right. I, I think, um, you know, in a situation like that, if they have the time and the money, then... We can make that work. I mean, one one thing you probably shouldn't do is touch down a helicopter where there's no roads, um, unless they can afford to take the time and the money and spend to get the entire crew and the logistics and work that out with a helicopter. Um, I always find if you can't if you can't give them exactly what they want, then you should find something better, um, so they kind of forget about the thing they couldn't have. Exactly. That's my wife. Thank you. She, she's taught me a lot over the years. So she's heard a lot on the phone over the years. Yes, absolutely. You, that is that is key. Um, make the designer and the director feel like it is their idea, and it's better coming from them, not necessarily you, right? So you just kind of push it that way. That is what's nice about um, being a, a local designer is the more I work with these locations managers, the more I understand 
um, you know, what's coming at them from, from the director and the producers. And so if we can have conversations ahead of time, then I can also, you know, steer them in, in a, a correct decision, whether it be budget constraints or locations or, um, you know, an example of that when this is last show was they love the, the railroads in the big industrial areas. And, and we really can't go on, um, you know, the railroad lands here in Calgary. And so we kept trying to, to steer them in other directions because it was not going to be doable. And they, they couldn't understand why we couldn't use, you know, run across the railroad tracks and jump on a train. And um, so it, the, that's where the closeness of the production designer and locations manager is, is to help sell what is available and help find some resources and some, some areas and sets and locations that, that might even be better in the long run. Excellent. Um, so just your own personal preference, um, what locations do you like working on the best and why? I like new ones. Um, I like... I like to be outside the city. I like I like the air. I like the landscape. I like finding. I like going places. The best part about our job is we go places that nobody's been. I mean, last week I just I knocked on a rancher's door. You know, said, "Hey, I'm looking to looking. This is what I'm looking for." And oh, here, go, go. You know, go through this gate. Go down there. I got a river. I got this. I got these trees. You know, just go explore. And I'm like, "Am I worried about getting onto somebody else's property here?" He's like, "No, it's all mine. It's all mine. As far as you can see." I mean, and that is special. I mean, you can spend the afternoon wandering around exploring what they have um, and being able to photograph it and potentially show that off to the world that that exists in Alberta. I think that's, I think that's a really great thing. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. Um, finding a new spot is always great, but going back to old favorites, my personal favorite is Fortress Mountain. Um, love going there. The people that run it now are amazing. I always love to see the look on people's faces when they see it for the first time and they, they say to me, what do you mean I can get 100 people up here? I can't believe that. This is insane. And every time that happens, it's someone new realizing that what a great spot we have. So personally, Fortress is my favorite. Uh, for me, um, the old and the new. Um, love CL Ranch, love uh, John Scott's, love our um, Albertina, um, you know, our main um, locations and, and how they support the industry here in Calgary um, is amazing. Um, if we call them and need anything, they're all right on, on help, trying to help out. But get really excited about seeing new places and, and rethinking new spaces. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I really have a favorite location of fortress is a special place for sure but um like to to go on what jason was saying too um to see the looks on people's faces when you drive your rental vehicle out onto a lake in the middle of winter and the you know the producer the everybody's from la or new york and they're like Whoa, what are you doing just to bring to bring people into places and even the crew the rest of the crew we've gone and scouted this place and and people get out, out of their cars at, at crew call and they come and they see this beautiful ranch or they get to the top of this hill. It's, it's pretty neat to be part of bringing people to that and then having it end up on the screen up here. So, you know, we're a long time ago, we were known as just a, a location uh, for Western films. That's what, what came here. We did a lot of work in that genre, and we're, I, my suggestion is we're the best on the planet doing that genre and others. But we've come more into the 
the here and now kind of uh, of shooting. There's a metropolitan city that now can be a lot of cities anywhere, um, and putting us in a position where that complexity starts coming into play. And so they're looking for houses. They're looking for you know locations to shoot where you can take over for quite a bit of time. Uh, Brian touched on it earlier about the complexity of doing that. How do you select the area? How do you know that you're going into something that you can make happen? And what is that conversation that allows you to in, you know entice somebody to leave their home between a week and three weeks to get things done? Well, a lot of time it's just pure luck, to be honest. You walk up to someone's door, like Jason said, you knock on the door and. The guy's great. He lets you look at all his property and his land. And so we want to send you on holidays for two weeks. What do you think of that? Oh, great. That's awesome. Or you get the rancher or the farmer that doesn't want to leave their homestead. They want to stay there. So then you have to work with them to keep them in their house or convince them that a hotel might not be a bad idea because you're going to have 200 people in your house tomorrow. <laughs> and you don't want to see that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it can be shocking. It can. I mean, people are like, yeah, you know, this is welcome. This is so great. This is exciting. This is fun. And. And 150, 200 people show up running around your home. Um, it's a big house party. I mean, everything's protected, and we do our best to, you know, deal with any damages, if any. But it it can be a lot. It can be overwhelming. I mean, like I've seen the look on people's faces change uh, in an instant. Um, so you, you just keep them involved. And, yeah. yeah. And the question always is, when you leave someone's house, is would you do this again? And the answers range from, well, um, then you know, well, you probably know, right? Or, yeah, that was awesome. Well, let's can we the next one come back to my house. So it's pretty uh, pretty unique experience when you see when someone actually realizes what it takes to make a TV series or to make a movie or to make even a commercial. It's crazy. And it, it's extremely boring at the same time. I'm not going to lie. It's like watching paint. Take after take after take after take. Yeah, to touch on that, too, it's, it's really important. Um, I mean, all our careers depend on being able to go back to maybe not a certain house, but a certain neighborhood or deal with a certain person. There's, you know, we're, we're a film business in an oil town and you go into somebody's fancy house, they all talk. If you do a good job, then it turns into a connection later. Maybe you don't go back to that house, but you talk to them and you say, hey, I noticed your neighbor had a pool last time we were here and we're looking for a pool for this, this scene. If they had a good experience, you know, go and knock on the neighbor's door and you get in. Um, it's it's extremely important for us to make a make a good impression and and uh, be able to come back. And Amy, when you're having your crew paint their walls or uh, you know cover their table with things, uh, how do you ensure that they feel confident that it's coming back? We we have to be very very particular. We, um, at first, people get very excited if they know we're filming inside of their home. Um, and, you know, through the due process, they realize that we're actually taking pretty much everything out of their home, repainting their walls in a different color, uh, changing everything, changing all the dressing um, on, on most shows I've, I've done. Um, because the, the something intrigued the director or the uh, DOP about the home, but we ended up we end up changing almost everything. And of course, we have to change the artwork, um, all of that declared artwork that that um, we've picked out. Um, but my team, we're very particular. We make sure things are labeled in tubs. We take uh, lots of photos in the very beginning, and uh, we like to leave it in better condition than when uh, we got there. And whether that means that they were going to change their paint colors on their wall, 
Um, and this was an opportunity to do it and let them have, pick out the colors they want, and we can help them with that. But um, it's important for, for us and for film that everything is always exciting and positive for them. Excellent. I think uh, at this point, maybe we can turn it over for some questions, if there's anybody um, out there that uh, has any questions. Pretty hard to see. Well, from the perspective of um, what the province does is that um, if you're a foreign production coming into the uh, to the jurisdiction, 25% uh, of everything you spend up to a maximum of $5 million per project, or if it's a major project, there is opportunity sometimes to get uh, uh, ministerial approval to increase that, um, is our ability to entice them to come here and work in the area. So that means that for every dollar spent, they get 25 cents back. But that 25 cents also has to be spent in the province on local people, um, locations, anything that is a as um, a uh, connection to the film, um, you know, that they can show that there has been a spend in the province. So we compete globally on that. And so when we're showing things around, I just want to say this, because I think it's important for me to note that for us to be able to do our job to go and sell this, um, whether it's in Los Angeles, New York, Berlin, doesn't matter where it is, we can entice them to get here. And I will say this, we never lose shows in Alberta because we can't make things happen. These folks that are sitting up here are our lifeline to be able to do that. Once they get them on the ground and they show them and they spend that time out here, um, they're incentivized to be here. If we lose shows in Alberta, it's based on one thing and really one thing only, and that's money. There's other jurisdictions that have much higher incentives than what we do. So we are uh, world... Uh, class incentives to a certain level of production. And after that, we're competing with the jurisdictions that continue to put money into it, and we have a, a cap that uh, that makes it a little bit more difficult for us to uh, to make things happen. We do get lucky sometimes. I mean, the, the Revenant is a good example. Um, they're well over what, uh, what we incentivize, and they could have gone somewhere else for more money, but uh, there are certain directors on this planet like... Uh, in Arutu, like Chris Nolan, who shot two projects here, uh, Inception and Interstellar. And both of those projects were well over what our cap was, and they were limited to that amount of money. But the, um, the creative drove those projects, and they're able to ensure that the studios allow them to do that. Most directors do not have that clout. So, you know, they'll do a, they'll do a Western in Michigan if they can get enough money to build the set, rather than doing it in Alberta. So we have to be careful with that. But these folks here, um, in, in, in my time, which is over 10 years now and doing what I do, uh, we don't lose shows because of, of the province or what we can offer them. Yes, I think what it is a misconception. I mean, all the money um, that ha that is 
given back to the, um, and that's a return. They have to spend it before they get it back. That's number one. Um, second thing is that money has to be spent in the province. Unlike other jurisdictions, we don't deem crew, so they can't bring people from outside and have us pay for them. Um, we do, uh, we give money back for what's spent here. And that is people, uh, locations, um, supplies, equipment, uh, you know, um, everything from the studio to houses to everything in between, any of those fees that's paid out, that's when that return happens. And if that money, if that incentive wasn't here, that money wouldn't come here. Last year in this province, we did $246 million worth of production. And uh, in most industries, you would think that for if somebody is going to ask you for a quarter and they're going to leave a dollar behind, that's a pretty damn good investment. So that's how we see it. And that's what, what we have to ensure uh, the public and private sector know. Back there. Yeah, slaves it, for Sarah. Yeah, and it wasn't that wasn't junior. That was a, that was a push um, that maybe took some of the safety out of it and uh, created some issues. But yeah, that's I mean that's um, safety is always number one, um, and a lot of productions, whether studio or independent, um, our guidelines are increasing all the time. Uh, we'd never never want to put anybody in harm's way. I mean, there's if there's a location is difficult and there's safety risks. Um, you can see up here there's. Photos of a hydro dam that we shot on on Tin Star. Uh, it's kind of a big deal. I mean, it's not the safest place to be, and nobody ever tends to go there other than the you know the few certified people that work on the dam. So, uh, you know, we had our entire crew go through. Anyone stepping foot on that dam had to, you know, wear a vest, go through the safety protocol, did a training session in the morning. You know, all the risks that are involved with the location. We had you know the casting crew tied off while we we're on top. Uh, we we got to make sure safety is number one always. Like, never compromise that over over the look of a movie. No, and same with uh, you know filming up at at Fortress or up in the mountains. Um, we have paramedics with us on set every morning. We have a safety briefing talking about and, and locals locals know what frostbite is and how to dress with layers and it could chinook and be minus twenty in the same day, but. Um, but yeah, you drag 200 people to the top of a mountain somewhere. Everybody has to look out for everybody else. Um, safety is a is a huge, huge uh, thing, and, and locations is part of that. It's the the reason we're going to the top of that mountain or to that hydro dam behind the the closed fence is because somebody scouted it, it got chosen, and uh, but that's that's having the time and the money to to um, to do it right, and that's how productions work. We have time for one more. I can't tell you where the ranch is. <laughs> I can.
good question. It, it, I was actually having this conversation the other day that, uh, and, and Luke kind of touched on it, shows, TV shows, whether it's Heartland, Tin Star, El Chicano, kind of fly under the radar in this city as far as the news coverage we get. If, if we were doing this in, in L.A. or something, I mean, there's, there's a ton of projects there, but there's a, there's a whole entertainment, paparazzi, and all that sort of stuff. It, I think it's just a matter of, of people don't pay as much attention, which is kind of handy in one way for us, because then if we, we put out our cones to, uh, to get to set, there's, we don't have hundreds of people showing up trying to get pictures, but, <laughs> but um, I don't know, just look for it, Google it. Uh, Talk to the unions and guilds, yeah. um, just indicating that, uh, and the associations indicating that you're interested. Uh, get your name in there, and then they'll... Uh, um, they'll call if there's a uh, if there's a need or a capacity to uh, to utilize you. That's the best way to to start. Um, I just want to make one comment uh, before we end here. Well, two comments. First is that if you have locations or a house or something of that nature that you're interested in having used in film and television, digital media, um, go to albertafilm.ca and uh, take a look and there is a locations area there that you can connect with them and then they will uh, they'll call you and, and talk to you and talk to you about uploading uh, photos and such and if you see these guys you know loitering around your area um, give them photos as well so they run can and hide, run and hide. <laughs> so I just want to uh, the other thing I want to say is um, I just like to uh, to thank these folks for being up here because this is this is how these things get started is having these folks uh, introduced to uh, to producers and directors and and they're a huge cause of why this industry continues to grow. Um, they're amazing professionals. They ensure that our locations here uh, stay pristine and that we can continue to go back and use them. And uh, the stuff that you're seeing up on the screen that's uh, getting all these accolades and awards, um, it's them showing these people those locations to have that happen. So uh, join me in thanking them for being here. And uh, thank you for coming out and, uh, and listening to us. Thanks, Luke. Thanks, Luke. Yay! Alrighty. <laughs> Thanks again to uh, the Calgary National Film Festival for having us and uh, partnering with us for uh, these four episodes. Yes, thank you so much. That was uh, that's our last uh, our last one of this year, uh, and we really enjoyed the partnership. Hope we can do it again next year. And if you enjoyed it, uh, let us know. Um, let them know that you, that you appreciated having the podcast involved and that you were able to catch these panels. If you missed them during the uh, event, during the event, absolutely. Uh, Jason Nolan was actually my first boss. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, after graduating from SAIT, uh, I worked a couple days on Heartland uh, as a locations PA. And uh, he was the the man I reported to. And uh, he called me film school <laughs> um, because I, I was a newbie. Um, That's great. Yeah, great guy. Uh, Dennis Penny as well. And Brian, they're all they're all awesome dudes and uh, and dudettes. And so pleased that uh, we get to mine their brains. Yeah, and some really interesting information, of course, Um uh, about not just the locations, but production design. I thought that was a cool right. addition to the panel. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so let's move on to the news you can use. Uh, the news you can use this year is brought to you by Bleeding Art Industries. Uh, they create cool with original content, custom props, prosthetics, 
products, equipment, and more. They are committed to supporting the Alberta filmmaking community, which I can absolutely test to, um, and they offer unique training opportunities, which we will talk about in just a second. Uh, Bleeding Art is one of Canada's only approved course providers for the Federal Pyrotechnic Safety and Legal Awareness Training Course. Also, as one of the industry's foremost experts on fake blood, on Friday, December 15th, which is this Friday, they're offering a blood workshop to members of IATSE's costumes department with guest speakers and hands-on demos of spray, spatter, splash, cannon, and cleanup. That was so fun. That was so fun to read. Visit bleedingartindustries.com and iatsi212.com for more info. All right, let's get into it. So the National Screen Institute's online short film festival uh, is a year-round film fest run by the NSI and uh, is a Canadian Screen Awards qualifying festival. They are open for submissions. Yeah. So uh, submissions must be Canadian, which means that the writer, director, or producer must be Canadian and uh, the film is, is added to their website. So they add new films every week of the year. Uh, they promote each new selection of films in the e-newsletter on Facebook and Twitter with a potential audience of around 16,500 people. And they give away uh, three different awards. The a Short Filmmakers Award, which is uh, $1,250 Canadian for the best film. The Brian Linehan Actors Award, $1,000 for Best Performance by a Lead Actor. And the Blue Ant Media Documentary Award, which is $1,500 for Best Documentary. And that is presented twice a year. Uh, the deadline for submission for this next round is December 13th. So you, so you got uh, just a couple of days from today. Uh, so definitely apply. And uh, the Imaginative Mentorship Program is uh, the deadline's coming up on December 15th. Um, we've talked a lot about that. It's a really cool opportunity for Aboriginal filmmakers. Um, and again, the deadline is end of the week here. So check out CSIF.org and go to Job Calls for more information on that. Last year, we lost a wonderful Alberta filmmaker named Gil Cardinal, uh, and they launched a legacy fund in his name uh, in memory of uh, the David Billington Award winning filmmaker. So every year, a grant is valued uh, at $2,500 will be awarded to an emerging Aboriginal filmmaker to help make a demo for their first film, short film, documentary, web, mobile or television project. Uh, It's specifically intended to assist in the prep of a professional demo or sizzle reel that would enable a project to be considered for development by a broadcaster or other media entity. Uh, the application deadline for the Guild Cardinal Legacy Fund is December 15th, um, and you can find the link to the application in the show notes. Or uh, you might be able to find it by going to ampia.org uh, and, and going through a tree of, of options there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mentioned this last time as well. Um, really cool opportunity from WIFTV, WIFT uh, Vancouver, I believe. Uh, it's called From Our Dark Side. And it's uh, all about uh, finding uh, genre scripts by women filmmakers uh, in Canada. So uh, check out womeninfilm.ca and you can submit your script uh, for the opportunity to uh, win a grand prize of uh, $500. Five projects are actually going to win a $500 grand prize uh, and a six-month incubator program uh, from March to August 2018. So uh, the deadline again is uh, January 5th, 2018. So check out womeninfilm.ca for more information on that. We talked about this a little bit at the start of the of the news you can use, but it is an upcoming workshop. So it bears mentioning again, uh, it's the Costume Blood Workshop uh, put on by Bleeding Art Industries. It is from 9.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. on the 15th, which is Friday of this week. Um, the workshop will cover a presentation from guest speakers, different types of stage blood presentation and hands on, uh, using a very variety of application techniques, which I will not repeat, uh, maximum 15 participants, uh, registration is restricted to members in the costume department. Um, it is happening at the bleeding art industries, um, 
warehouse, I guess. I don't even know what you call it. their workshop, their, yeah, their it's, shop. Yeah, like it's, it's this, it's this it's kind like of wonderland a, of yeah, yeah, one of those combinations, magical, amazing place. Uh, it's a must see uh, if you haven't seen it. Um, it's in the southeast of Calgary. It is uh, forty five dollars for a member and free for permittee. Is that right? Oh, you have to be a member. Right, you have to be a member. So it's forty five dollars right. to take the the workshop, uh, and you can find out more about it at iatsi two one two dot com or bleedingartindustries.com all right and uh we also have a script formatting and supervising workshop happening uh being put on by iatsi uh this one day workshop will cover an introduction to script formatting headers revisions and the role of the script supervisor um participants should bring a notebook pencil ruler and a bagged lunch you really do need a ruler believe it or not um (laughs) And, and you can also bring a laptop or iPad if, uh, if that's the way you like to do your script supervision. Uh, it's happening on the 17th at 9 a.m. And uh, it is $25 for members, $45 for, for permits. Uh, do, you ha- do you own a ruler? <laughs> I think I could dig one out. Yeah? Of, uh, yeah, an old box somewhere, yeah. I don't even know if we have a ruler. We must <laughs> have a ruler somewhere. Um, yeah, I don't even, like, we, we signed some Christmas cards earlier. That, that I had to do some writing with my hand. Uh, but I just never do that kind of stuff anymore. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, and the final workshop to talk about is uh, a workshop that uh, the Calgary Society of Independent Filmmakers is putting on, hosted by uh, yours truly. And how do I say you? Oh. How do I say that with you? Not, me and Matt and Cam McGowan <laughs> uh, and Kevin Dory um, about the uh, the Talent to Watch program, formerly called the Telefilm Microbudget yeah, kind of program. Yeah, used to that new name. Yeah, so... Um, Every year, the application for this grant to make your first feature film to get up to a quarter of a million dollars to make your first feature film, which is absolutely amazing, um, comes about in about January. So we're hosting this early to get everyone, uh, give everyone a bit of a jump on their applications. Uh, and is Fava not doing one? Not that I've heard they did, of. They did one last year, I think. Yeah, too, but, they but might maybe be. It's just Calgary. So come on down, Edmontonians, if you'd yeah. like to check out a great workshop. Uh, last year was fantastic. I think we, got, we had some really good feedback on it. Um, Certainly, yeah. And we want a really strong showing from from Alberta projects. So uh, that's right. We're always we're always uh, surprised at how few applications there are. I know it's a lot of work to put together a feature film application. So, I, you know, I don't hold that against anybody. And you kind of uh, have to be in a, in a specific position to make it work. But yeah, um, but it's not that hard to get a script ready. Totally. And the deadline hasn't been announced yet, has it? No, no. Okay. no. Usually it's not announced until early January. Right. Um, but the purpose of this workshop is to take you through um, what it looks like to go through that program, but also mostly what it what uh, what a winning application looks like. So we'll show you ours. Um, you can see our website that we built, the microsite. See our pitch video. We'll, sh- we'll give you access to all of our documents um, that we submitted for uh, an application that we were successful with and got to make our first feature film with. So uh, really hands-on stuff, really great uh, nuts and bolts information. Uh, and Cam McGowan will be there, and he's just just a delight to listen to and, and watch speak. So For sure. Yeah, so come on down. Uh, that'll be happening Wednesday night, December 20th at 6 p.m. Uh, at the Calgary Society of Independent Filmmakers, and it is free to attend. Yes. So join us. Uh, come say hi and... Uh, you know, take the next step to getting your first feature film made. Yeah. So, uh, there's some projects shooting right now in Alberta. Um, uh, circle of steel is actually still going. I think they've got one or two more days. Oh, right on. Uh, and then there's also, um, uh, cyborgs, hundred K story hive winners. 
Um, and there's got to be some other stuff going on. So please do let us know. We'd love you should you should make a part of your kind of pre-production to to shoot a note to to in or hello at uh, abfilmcast.ca and and then we can uh, share the news with everyone that you're in production. Um, uh, we do have Tin Star season two prepping uh, and we'll be going into production in February. Um, but yeah, we'd love to talk about uh, your project as well. Totally. All right, let's get into the job calls. Here's how to make some money in this industry. Uh, so New Cap Television is looking to hire a videographer slash editor slash writer for their creative department in Lloydminster, Alberta. Uh, it is the city that borders two great provinces, Saskatchewan and Alberta. You've mm-hmm. been to Lloydminster. I love Lloyd. I've been through Lloyd. <laughs> uh, it's a fast growing city that still remains a small town feel. Uh, this is actually is a pretty cool opportunity. Um, lots of stuff to... Uh, to read about uh you have to know if, uh, dslr and broadcast camera operations and related workflow um you have to be proficient with non-linear editor uh, software and the adobe software suite um you have to have a driver's license uh lots and lots of stuff uh it seems like a pretty um uh, kind of a generalist job uh and you can find the link to that in the show notes and uh the national film board canada's public producer and distributor of engaging innovative and authentic audiovisual works is looking for a producer that that's right the title of the job is producer um and uh, it's it's uh, going to be based in edmonton um and you'll be part of a dynamic workplace where a number of ambitious projects are currently underway um and it's a unique opportunity for, for a permanent full-time producer this is incredible it's a cool job yeah uh, with with a salary range of forty nine to one hundred and two thousand dollars, depending on uh, presumably uh, your experience, um, and it comes with uh, dental and medical insurance. It's a great job. It's very cool, um, and I think it's even a union gig. Uh, so they need somebody who speaks uh, uh, the language of documentary, animation, um, all sorts of different kind of film and 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 creative, uh, you know, screen based um, experience and and. Uh, a deftness that didn't really work but i just deftness? wanted to use the word adept a deft a deft yeah a deft means you're like look a new word for you i didn't know a what deft? environs was last <laughs> last week a deft yeah. oh. um or is it adept am i wrong well, there am is I the word adept yeah but... yeah oh no i'm no, no, combining adept. two words yeah oh, it is a portmanteau, again it is a portmanteau uh, of adept and deft in well, general it means skilled Right. So it is a word. I'm, I'm going to get laughed at again. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, anyway, it's a great it's a great looking job. Um, uh, you do need post-secondary uh, and 10 years of relevant production experience in the industry and a solid portfolio. Yeah, it's not a junior to, position to, to for show sure. For it, yeah. Yeah. So if you're interested in the position, uh, you uh, you need to apply at uh, rh-hr at nfb.ca. Uh, but check out the show notes uh, for more information. The deadline is January 5th to apply what do you recommend to our listeners this week matt oh um i i thought i would uh, kind of focus on uh, someone in our community um because uh, i just happened to notice that um somebody uh, followed us on our instagram account and uh, we have an instagram account we do <laughs> i watch it i look uh, at it i post it all the time. <laughs> um and i uh i i so i i followed the the rabbit hole to see who they were and I found their YouTube channel and they have this really cool YouTube channel all about um, filmmaking. Um, and uh, I, I can't for the life of me find the fellow's name, uh, but the company name is Jimber Jam. And uh, he's got all these great videos about like three tips for more engaging video, three tips for better sound. Um, 
breaking in um, amazing career stuff so yeah lots of really cool um and it's a cool youtube channel and it's and it's a whole world of filmmaking that we don't talk enough about because it's really popular a really fast growing world and he's you know he's doing short films and things and corporate video like us and so um yeah jimber jam on on youtube and you can check out uh jimberjam.com uh as well for kind of the more business side of the company pretty cool that's that's a great recommendation mine's not as cool as yours <laughs> Um, I'm gonna recommend a book. Um, I may have recommended this last season, but I, I don't know if I have. So I want to make sure that uh, I get it out there. So I, I, um, I did a talk about starting a company at uh, the Ampia Dustup earlier this year. And the book that I recommended was the one that uh, helped helped Full Swing get started. Um, Briar got it for me for Christmas. And it is... Uh, oh, Starting and Running, a Small Business uh, in Canada for Dummies. So it's one of the dummies books hmm. uh, because uh, I was a dummy when we were starting and um, it was just a fantastic, fantastic book to get started when you don't really know um, even how to start, even even where to begin. Um, mm-hmm. And it t- and, you know it takes you through really, really nuts and bolts, really nitty gritty, easy to follow steps on like how to make a business plan and how to do market research and how to do competitive research and how to analyze all that data and what and what can you learn from it and how to create a, you know, a strong company and when what a vision statement is and and um i think it really helped us kind of have a solid foundation when we started um and really understanding what we were getting into and uh, what this business was going to be um so yeah i would recommend that christmas is coming up so it's a nice time to uh give or receive it as a gift uh, and spend some time reading it uh and start the new year with a a company yeah yeah which is super cool so yeah check it out awesome well thank you to briar for putting all the news and uh deadlines and all that important stuff at the start and end of the podcast together uh thanks to chad as well chad blaine for the music on the show yep. and Britt clark for uh the wonderful art and uh cover art for the podcast definitely uh if you're not a filmmaker and you listen to this podcast and uh, you want to get something into the podcast that we talk about it's not difficult uh and in fact we encourage you to reach out to us and let us know if you've got something going on or if you're hiring someone or if you're looking for help on a project or if you just want the community to know hey i've got a short film and i'd love everyone to see it uh reach out and we'll let the community know about it how can they get in touch with us man you can uh, fire us an email at hello at abfilmcast.ca and we're also on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and SoundCloud. Uh, it's all abfilmcast on those portals. And of course, you want to subscribe to the Alberta Filmmakers Podcast on iTunes and rate us five stars. Please rate us five stars. It helps other filmmakers find us uh, and find out that we exist. Uh, we, we find that we're telling people all the time about this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the more, you know, the more reach we have, the more people we can help out with it. Mm-hmm. So we encourage you to stick around and listen to the final message from our uh, sponsor, the Alberta Post-Production Association. And after you listen to that, go, go make, make something. something. The Alberta Filmmakers Podcast is proudly sponsored by APA, the Alberta Post-Production Association. APA represents technical and creative professionals working behind the scenes in editing, sound, and visual effects. Our members live here in Alberta and support producers with expertise in picture editing, color grading, graphic design, compositing, audio post, music scoring, and so much more. For more information about post-production, visit APA online at albertapost.org.